listening to the Retail Perch with Shaker Raman and Gary Hawkins. We're going to discuss industry challenges and opportunities in grocery retail, AI, current and upcoming trends, and so much more. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Retail Perch. I know we took a week off there in between. Gary was out celebrating his anniversary at Jackson, Wyoming, uh, and having a great time. Gary, how was your anniversary celebrations? It was terrific. Thank you, Shaker. We had a a terrific time out there doing a little uh, rafting and sightseeing around Yellowstone and Grand Teton National Parks and uh, some good, good food. That's nice. I'm trusting that everybody here is enjoying the summer while you're listening to this amazing podcast to liven up your day, but appreciate all the support that you guys are giving us. And, you know, we keep getting lots of requests from you guys uh, about wanting to get on the show as a guest. Uh, We deeply appreciate that recognition you've given us and please keep that coming. We'd love to have all of you guys line up and show up as a guest. Just want to let you know again, just as a level set that we do talk about retail more typically focused around grocery retail. We welcome conversations around all over retail because I think ultimately what happens in one sector can eventually impact what happens in another sector. But uh, today, Gary and I are going to go off on our own a little bit and talk about what's been happening in the retail world. And I think there's been a lot of things happening and we haven't done a retail roundup in a while, Gary. No, we haven't. So it'll be good to sort of take a look at what's happening out there in the news, uh, different things happening across the industry today and talk about those. Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, we can start off with, I think, some report that we got from the FMI on shopper trends. Yes. Yeah. They recently released their 2021 grocery shopper report. And I I think three big things uh, that they called out there. You know, the first is uh, trends around meals at home. The second is what's happening around e-commerce. And then the third is is around wellness. You know, I think all very hot topics today. Right, right. And I think we've touched on all three of these things in the course of our episodes. I've spoken to companies in and around this area. And I think it was fairly obvious that these are the big three big trends. Clearly, I think, you know, the pandemic and the time at home has skyrocketed the meals at home here and categories that people have been purchasing over the last year and a half. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, FMI's report found something like nearly 60% of people uh, reported eating more at home than they did, you know, before the whole pandemic. And a big portion of shoppers are expected to continue that trend. Obviously, the whole COVID-19 pandemic changed a lot of people, nearly everyone's behavior, right, in a lot of areas. But this one is particularly relevant and important to uh, grocery retailers or really anyone in the food business right now. Right, right. And, you know, when we talk to retailers, we also find another interesting trend is that they're all having a tough time hiring people. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I'm wondering, you know, what could potentially be the reason behind that? The, the reason behind it being so difficult to find people? Correct. You, you know, you, you hear different things on the news reports, right? You know, one being all the stimulus money funded by the government to help people, you know, during the difficult time is actually encouraging some people to stay at home. And, and not go back into the workforce. I, I think the pandemic, you know, has caused a lot of people to maybe reassess what they were doing prior to the whole shutdown and thinking about, you know, how they want to change their lives, live their lives going forward. 
and you know what types of careers they want, what types of work they want, that type thing. And then you know I'm sure there's still some people that are continue to be you know leery of getting back out in public, you know even as the world begins to open back up. So I, I think there's a lot of things coming together to create that challenge for retail. And you know to your point earlier, this is something that's happening across retail. Right, whether it's supermarkets or drugstores or restaurants, any service-based facing business, and, and you know, just to build on that and and a, a short story, we found that to be really evident in our trip this past weekend to Jackson, Wyoming. Nearly every restaurant we went to, it was very clear that they were short-staffed. You know, you'd see long wait times, a lot of right. empty tables. They just didn't have the people to to keep up with business. True, true. In fact, a couple of hospitality people that I spoke to said that exactly what you're talking about, Gary. People are starting to reevaluate their careers. I think they found this pause, like, hey, I want to think about, it's not just that they don't want to work, they're, they want to change their line of work. And so there's more people moving away from these industries. And it's not like there aren't people out there, but the same people who used to work in these industries are reevaluating their entire careers. And obviously, you know, they've got some comfort from the, from the stimulus money. It's giving them the cushion to do, it, to do that. Yeah, no, that, that's right. What, what's also interesting here is that, you know, another, I, I think, outcome or implication from the whole pandemic related to this is in parallel, you know, technology, particularly computer vision is growing fast, right? So what we're seeing happen is retailers are finding it increasingly tough to find people to you know, uh, uh, man the store, cashiers, stocking shelves, all those things that have to happen. We are seeing significant increases in the number of retailers deploying self-checkouts. You know, interestingly, I think it was Walmart is actually testing a full or complete self-checkout store. There will be no manned cashiers. Right. Uh, And then, you know, you see companies like Trigo and others bringing Amazon Go type technology into the market, you know, very aggressively. Uh, That space is is really hot right now. Again, in part driven by retailers can't find people. Right, right. It's interesting because I think, you know, a couple of years ago, people were worried about what will automation do to the workforce and, you know, people's jobs are going to go away. And I think it's interesting that now, you know, the pandemic is forcing an innovation of acceleration of uh, automation in the stores simply because you can't find people <laughs> who will be willing to work these jobs. No, that, that's right. I mean, you know, to your point, interestingly, you know, just a year or two ago, we heard a lot about, you know, how automation is going to impact the workforce. What's happening today is really flipping that. It's how the workforce is impacting automation. That is so true. That's so true. And, you know, clearly it's, it's a great opportunity for people out there who are in that field or thinking about solving that problem. How do you still continue and deliver the same experience while having a, you know, a smaller workforce? Right? Yes. You know, just like we have seen and continue to see in other areas as, you know, computer vision, as these types of systems become deployed more and more, it's accelerating the growth of other 
related areas, right? So, you know, once a retailer deploys a computer vision system for, you know, frictionless or just walk out shopping experience, those same cameras now begin to feed out of stock information in real time. They detect, uh, you know, if there's a a broken jar of spaghetti sauce on the floor in aisle three that needs a cleanup before someone slips and falls. It drives greater understanding of shopper traffic through the store and dwell time and purchase conversion. There's a host of related things that come along with that. Right, right. Fascinating. So who would have thought two years ago that, you know, work, the lack of workforce would drive automation? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. No, it's, it's, it's really fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And I think, uh, you know, talking about, I think the next big trend that they talked about was e-commerce. And obviously, we've seen a huge spike in e-commerce growth over the last year and a half. And I know it's kind of leveled off a little bit. There's been a slight drop, but it's it's probably settling on a new normal, which is higher, much higher than what it was before. Yes. And, and I'm wondering, how does that, how do you think that impacts, you know, it obviously impacts store profitability, right? Absolutely. It, it impacts, you know, having the retailers think about how do I, you know, find a balance between pickers in the store and shoppers in the store. And I've heard of some retailers going towards setting up dedicated dark stores in certain areas to fulfill so that do not impact customer experience in the store. And where do we, where do you see that going, Eric? You know, several of the things you just mentioned. You know, a lot of the retailers I've spoken with across the country, you know, small retailers, big retailers, et cetera, everyone's seen effectively the same trend, right? That obviously e-commerce spiked heavily in the first six months of the pandemic. Most retailers have seen a decline, but still significantly ahead of uh, 2019 where they were. And everyone is expecting e-commerce to again begin to climb. And with that, brings a a focus on profitability, right? As you just called out, fulfilling orders, delivering orders, staging them for pickup in the parking lot. This is all new cost to the retailers. So a lot of retailers are focused on order picking efficiency, fulfillment efficiency. You know, we're seeing, as you just called out, a growing number of retailers deploying uh, micro-fulfillment centers, Walmart's going down this path. Kroger's opening up its Ocado, uh, fully automated distribution centers to support online. Uh, Spartan Nash just opened up a dedicated uh, dark store fulfillment center. You know, a lot of activity around that. I, I think where this goes is, you know, we're already seeing a growing number of shoppers that are uh, doing both. They're shopping online and they're going in store right? You know, they're shopping online for uh, products that are heavy, that are bulky, tough to handle, and that are packaged items, right? You know, a box of Cheerios is a box of Cheerios. So a lot of the packaged goods moving to online order, people still, for the most part, want to pick their own fresh foods, their own fresh fruits, vegetables, steaks, and so on. So we're seeing a lot of sort of that that split shopping behavior, and I think we're going to see that continue to grow. Uh, I think we're also going to begin to see the development of new store formats, right? Where instead of the big, you know, 80, 60,000 or 80,000 square foot store, we're going to see a, a hybrid store develop where the front half of the store is all fresh foods. The back half behind the wall is a micro fulfillment center 
that's automating and making as efficient as possible the fulfillment of packaged goods that you've ordered before you go or you order on your way in the door and it's there for you to pick up on your way out. Right, right. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how, you know, how it pans out here in the next uh, next year, right? And yeah. I'm sure there's uh, a wave of consolidation also happening on the e-commerce platform end of things uh, that's going to come in because you'd have a lot of small players that effectively have to band together somehow to survive in the longer term. Right? No, that, that's right. I mean, there's been, you know, quite honestly, too many e-commerce solution providers in the market. Right. There continue to be a lot of smaller companies. And I, I think you're absolutely right. We're going to see consolidation there. There has to be. Uh, right. And it's beginning to happen. I, I think two other important call outs that, you know, listeners may find interesting or, or should start giving some thought to is, you know, the first is certainly e-commerce has grown, but again, as a result of the pandemic, a lot of shoppers began to avoid paper. They didn't want to touch paper ads or really other things, right? So that drove this, this big spike in digital behavior on the part of shoppers. That is going to do nothing but continue, right? right? You know, you see a growing number of shoppers in the store, you know, or at home, at work, researching products on their phone, right? Hey, I've got a gluten allergy, or I'm diabetic, or I need, you know, these different attributes in the foods I buy, you know, so all that's being done digitally today. I think really important trend and something that, that uh, retailers should be aware of. Right, which obviously brings us to the next part of the trend, which is wellness, I guess. And we've talked about wellness a lot in our podcast. And, uh, you know, it's it's obvious. And I think, you know, we recently, uh, in one of our, I wrote a blog about, you know, I think the retailers, especially supermarket retailers, are in a unique position to place themselves at the center of the entire wellness revolution. I've heard and I've seen a lot of retailers really put their money where their mouth is. And, you know, we've been talking wellness, they've been hiring dietitians and I think, but I see, I think you and I see several retailers actually taking concrete steps towards that direction. Yes. Actually becoming wellness centers, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the big guys are, are focused on this and have been, uh, you know, companies like Kroger with their OptUp app, Walmart's going down this path. What's exciting to see though is, as you just called out, we're seeing a growing number of retailers really getting serious about this. Right. Understanding not only the need for it on the part of their shoppers, but the opportunity to you know, converge health and, and, and food and bring intelligent guidance to their customers to help support them, you know, as they're purchasing food, eating more at home, you know, recipes that are relevant to them and so on. Yeah, so clearly I think decision-making and transparency, right? So simpler decision-making yes. for the shopper and greater transparency into food production, you yeah. know, uh, and then the path it's taking are probably going to become more and more important because I know it's very important for the millennials. They seem to, I mean, I have uh, kids who are millennials and, I'm surprised, you know, they may be 18, but they're concerned about where stuff is coming from more than I ever was when I was 18. Oh, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) no, absolutely. And, you know, right along with that, hand in hand with that, is the fact that seems there's a significant number of people today of all ages that have 
special uh, needs or requirements when it comes to food, right? They've either got, you know, chronic health conditions they're dealing with. They've got lifestyle interests, like you were just calling out, want to be vegan, or they have allergies or different things. You know, it seems like there's a lot more of that today than there was, you know, when I was growing up. But for whatever reason, it is what it is. And that represents an opportunity to retailers to help guide people help make recommendations to them on foods that are good for them. I think when you have a little information, you become a little bit more discriminatory in your decision-making process. And once you have the tendency to become a little bit more discriminatory in your decision-making process, you want more information. So one feeds the other. Yes. Kind of it's a snowball effect of some sort. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Once you understand that you can begin to find information to help you make better decisions, it, it becomes a self-reinforcing sort of process or cycle. Yeah, I think these are all fascinating trends. And, you know, clearly there's going to be technologies that evolve out of some of these trends that, you know, uh, I'm sure retailers are paying attention to. And I think think one of the things that I see happening is that as operations get more and more uh, automated and uh, streamlined, retailers are going to have to focus a little bit more on innovation. They're going to have some gaps in their day where they can actually think about innovation and addressing the customer experience. No, that's right. Exciting time. Yes. And I don't think retailers are going to have a choice. They are going to have to respond to what shoppers are looking for. And, you know, as I always have, they're going to have to respond to what their competitors are doing. Um, But, you, you know, these different trends all at some point begin to converge, right? You know, this, this greater interest in health and wellness fed by more and more information being available to shoppers, you know, that very quickly confer- converges with personalization, marketing relevancy, and so on, right? So retailers need to be thinking about not just, oh, gee, I have these attributes on these products, I can surface to my customer, you know, it's gluten-free or it's dairy-free or nut allergy or whatever, but going that next step, leveraging all those attributes and the shopper insights to become more relevant to each individual shopper. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about the equivalent of what Pandora did to music recommendations. You need something like that for products. Yes. You know, yeah. Yeah. Cause it, it's confusing for people, you know, to walk into a 60,000 or 80,000 square foot store being confronted by 40,000 or 50,000 different SKUs of product. You know, it's it's just overwhelming for people. All fascinating stuff. We're going to keep watching this on our podcast and keep talking to guests who speak on these topics. Well, it's another topic that we've talked about a lot on our show, Gary, which is Instacart. And I know there's been some a movement happening with Instacart, right? They have a new CEO, they have a deal with Fabric. And what do you think all of this means to the retail industry? I'm sure people are sitting up, some people are losing sleep, some people are, you know, getting concerned about, you know, where this is all going. <laughs> yes, yes, and yes. Uh, you know, from my perspective, retailers that have a relationship with Instacart should be lying awake at two o'clock in the morning, thinking about what's going on here. I think there's several things that if you sort of step back and look at what's happening, begin to really point towards where Instacart's going. Yeah, you know, Instacart just a few months ago in their latest uh, raise, I think they raised somewhere around $260 million, but they did it at a valuation of $39 billion. 
that is more than the combined valuations of Kroger and Albertsons. So stop and think about that. You've got a company with no physical stores now being valued more than uh, the two largest traditional supermarket companies. Uh, Instacart has something like a 45% share of the grocery e-commerce market in the United States. So, you know, I, I think as Instacart continues down the path towards an IPO, they need to do something to both justify the valuation and to increase it, right? As they, as they work towards that IPO. So I think two interesting things you just called out. Uh, they recently brought in a new CEO, a woman who's a senior uh, executive at Facebook. And what's interesting there is this is an executive with no grocery experience, apparently, and no uh, operations type experience. Both things that are pretty fundamental to the grocery business. So, you know, what, what does she bring to the table is experience helping guide Facebook from a private company to a public company, path Instacart is on, and also the, the ability to, digi to monetize digital networks, right? You know, if you think of Facebook as a massive digital network, which it is, she has led the monetization of that through different efforts over the years. You look at Instacart, you can view them as a digital network of millions and millions of consumers across the country. And not only a digital network, but vast intelligence on each of those shoppers that are part of that network, right? Instacart knows exactly what products each customer is buying, what they're paying for them, the purchase frequency or cadence of each product, what retailers are coming from, all this information. So some interesting things. And then on the micro fulfillment side, you know, Instacart has expressed that they are going down that path to automate fulfillment of orders to reduce their costs, just like traditional retailers, and that they want to do this in partnership with retailers. So I, I think interesting strategy, and it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out, because I think a growing number of retailers are awakening to the fact that Instacart very well could easily become a competitor and begin fulfilling orders directly to the shopper outside and around the traditional retailer. Right. I mean, you know, obviously the shopper, I mean, all this innovation, you can't stop innovation, right? So you're going to have no. people who come up with new companies. And I think in the end, the market wins. I think the shopper wins. And uh, I think what we're saying here is that there's just a lot of innovation happening and some innovation is disruptive. And I think uh, people should be waking up to the fact that this innovation is happening and you got to be thinking about how you can keep pace and serve your customer if you want to keep owning your customer. And I don't think Gary and I are in any way saying that uh, one company is good or one company is bad. We're just calling out innovation that's happening in the industry that we need to be aware of and the potential change that it can bring to the industry. No, that, that's right. And change it is going to bring, right? There's no doubt about that. We're already right. seeing it. And I, I think the message for traditional retailers is that it is indeed a new world right? The, the, the industry, traditional retail has been dragged kicking and screaming into this digital world, but this is where value creation is happening today. This represents uh, new uh, competitive battlegrounds. 
you know, around digital networks, uh, customer intelligence, big data, all these things. So the, the game is changing. So we heard about some other cool, fun stuff. I know Sam's Club is doing something pretty cool. I heard something about, I don't want to lug this back home. Can you ship it for me, please, in the store? So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, really neat capability that they've uh, added to their app is what they're calling scan and ship. So a, a shopper in the store, you know, if they don't want to lug that 50 pound bag of dog food home or that, you know, huge uh, bundle of diapers home or whatever, all they have to do is simply scan the product and click ship and Sam's Club will ship it and deliver it to their home automatically. That's cool. That's cool. It, so it's almost like you, your, your store is a quasi showroom where you don't have to, you can just go and scan the products and say, I want this, this, and this. So it's, it's a physical website. <laughs> yes. No, that, that, that's an interesting way to put it, but, but that's exactly what's happening. It is just this further blending of the physical world and digital worlds here and how it's impact the entire shopping experience. Right. Right. Yeah. I think, I think that's fascinating. I mean, I, again, I think, I think all this is exciting from a consumer because you have just so many more interesting ways to shop and more convenience being added. And I think the net of all this innovation is that the experience just goes to a different level. Yes, absolutely. Right, yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's, Gary, you, you know, you and I have been talking about this in the podcast. At the end of the day, I think as long as you're customer focused, you're improving the customer's experience, expectations, making it more fun, more relevant, more productive for the customer, the retailer is going to win. So I think... The key really here, I think the thread that's running through all of this is if you're a retailer out there, you want to be thinking customer first strategies. What is it, what is it I can do to make my customer's life better? Because that's going to drive loyalty. It's going to drive your trips. All the metrics that we talk about of yes. growing shopper value and growing your business. Right? Yeah. And that, that customer first philosophy really has to be all encompassing. It's not just about personalized offers or relevancy in marketing, it, it touches on everything, you know, just like scan and ship application from Sam's Club we were just right. speaking of, right? To your point, it's how can that retailer help the shopper, you know, learn about products, obtain the products that they want, you know, through all these different ways. Cool. I mean, I think it's cool stuff. And and we, uh, there's also been some movement on the wholesale side. We heard something about CNS acquiring a few stores uh, out of the Midwest, I believe, right? Yes. So a lot happening on the wholesaler front uh, right. these days, right? Uh, yeah. The announcement just a, a day or two ago of CNS Wholesale acquiring the uh, Piggly Wiggly Group in the Midwest. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. You know, my observations uh, of the industry over the years is that wholesalers typically don't necessarily make good retailers. They can be great wholesalers. Right. Uh, that doesn't mean they know how to, how to operate retail. Now, that being said, I have tremendous respect for CNS as a company and organization. I know many of their, their key execs and their people, uh, and they are smart operators. Uh, you know, they do have experience over the years with acquiring different chains, operating them, and then eventually, you know, selling them off while maintaining the distribution uh, and supply contracts and so on. So that's going to be an interesting one to watch. 
the other one that was just in the news is uh, around Coburn's uh, making the move, uh, switching primary wholesalers to AWG uh, right. beginning the first of the year. You know, for a company the size of uh, Coburn's, that is not a small decision. Uh, you know, how a retailer interacts with their wholesaler, especially for a chain, it touches on so many things from pricing to you know, orders and, and fulfillment and delivery schedules, brands that are available, private label, there's a zillion different things. So I, I found that was a really interesting uh, headline that, that came yeah, out. Yeah, you know, just talking about, you know, wholesalers acquiring retailers. And I think as um, the importance of data increases and wholesalers find themselves in a position where maybe because they don't have to be worried about store operations at this point, they can get smarter and understand data better. Uh, they ultimately, you know, maybe there's a trend that we're seeing, you know, where more wholesalers acquire more retailers because they understand that, hey, we've got the data game under control, which a lot of our retailers don't seem to have. And maybe, you know, they become smarter technology centers for these retailers, right? Yes, and, and, yeah. and I think that would be a good thing, right? It's needed. Uh, yeah. It's needed by both the wholesaler and by the, the independent retailers, those wholesaler service. You, you know, I, I think you look back over the years, one of the big obstacles to that has been retailers being reluctant to share their data, you know, even their sales data with the wholesaler. You know, from my perspective, and, and you know, as, as you know, I spent a lot of years as an independent retailer. Uh, I, I get the reluctance, and yet in today's world, there's no place for that. You know, today's world of retail is absolutely driven by data. It is also driven by scale. And wholesalers are in a unique position to help independent retailers, but it's, it's a two-way street. The independents have to truly partner with the wholesaler, sharing and leveraging all this data back through the supply chain and also forward, you know, into marketing uh, relevancy and so on uh, with their shoppers. Clearly, folks, lots of stuff happening. I mean, there's many more things that we could have covered here, but uh, we're just about out of time. And I want to also want to let you know that, uh, you know, back in the next couple of weeks, we're going to have more interesting and exciting guests. You won't just hear me and Gary, but I think this was overdue. We haven't spoken about what's happening in the world of retail for a while, Gary. Yeah, yes. And, uh, I think it's all exciting stuff. Listen, I think there's more amazing solutions out there that retailers can go and check out and see how they can integrate into their operations to ultimately drive value to the shopper, right? No, the, the, the only way right. of growing your business is if you keep your shoppers and keep them interested in growing in terms of their spending back with you. So yeah, I, I think it was Jeff Bezos that said something like, you know, the, the only thing that does not change is the customer. Is the customer. And I think that is more applicable than ever today as innovation uh, and change is happening everywhere across this industry. You know, and as you called out a little while ago, I think retailers to be successful going forward have got to really develop a laser focus on their customers. True, true. And of course, you know, talking about Jeff Bezos, I guess last week you could say he was out of the world. So... <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. E I, I, commerce I is going uh, going to space. Yeah, that's right. And you know, I I was forwarded uh, two video clips by somebody in my uh, circle, 
Uh, one was with an interview with Charlie Rose, I think on PBS, where they're laughing about his desire to go into outer space. This was in 2000. Okay. And I think Charlie Rose asked him, you know, if you could do anything, what would you want to do? And I think Jeff Bezos says, I'd like to go into space. And I think everybody laughed, obviously, you know, because they thought that was a huge problem to be solved. And the second clip that I saw was Jeff Bezos going into space. So I think it's, I think it's very exciting. I think, I think, uh, you know, for a lot of entrepreneurs and even retailers out there, I think if you can envision a future of what your store can be like, yes, um, you know, it can come to pass. I think it requires, uh, uh, you know, it requires a little bit of vision and a little bit of, uh, you know, will and motivation, line up your company together. I think there's great things in store for retail. So. It, yeah. And, and I think the other element is creativity. Right. Right. I, I mean, the, the capabilities, the innovation, the technologies are out there today and available really to anyone. Right. right? You know, from, from a one store retailer to, you know, the national chains. It's, it's, it's a matter of having the vision, having the, the will and the persistence to go after it and the creativity to make it happen. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, what we were trying to do here on the retail part is really talk about some of these things, bring some of these companies that are making these innovations happen, have these conversations with uh, industry, retailers, startups, uh, experts. And I think we're going to have a couple of uh, industry experts join us here in the next couple of episodes. So uh, with that, I just want to thank you guys for, for the support. We get lots of messages from you people saying that you guys listen to our podcast. And in fact, I saw couple of messages on LinkedIn on DMs that I got saying I'm a fan of your podcast and I love what you guys are doing. So thank you for all those wonderful messages. And if you want to show up and you think you have something to contribute to the conversation, please email us uh, the retail perch at birdseye.com. And I also want to thank Stephanie Doherty, who actually produces the show and puts it out on all the podcast platforms and YouTube. And uh, I guess we'll see you next week. Gary, any parting thoughts? So, so I think just, just to add on to what you were just saying, you know, for our listeners, I, I think certainly anyone that thinks they have something to, to contribute, you know, some innovation perspective or whatever, love to hear from you. Uh, but also, if our listeners have any questions or topics that they would like us to address, uh, could also be some great feedback. So, so please communicate with us. Yeah, one of these days, Gary, you and I will go live. Maybe on That's right. Instagram or Facebook and people can ask us questions directly, but you know, it's coming one of these days. Yes. No, that's right. It is. Yep. Absolutely. Well, folks, it's been terrific talking to you. I hope you guys have a great week. Enjoy the summer. We'll see you again next week. Uh, and Gary is, as always, it's always one to do a podcast with you. Yes, it is. We'll talk to you soon. Make sure to join us every Monday and connect with us at the retail perch on Instagram and Facebook. And if you have any questions, feel free to email us at theretailperch at birdseye.com. Until next time, this is Shaker. And this is Gary, signing off. 